This morning, I, uh, let me just say that Gina and I, my wife, uh, raised four kids, and I have eight grandkids. It was, uh, we were serving in North Africa for, for many years, almost four decades, and only last year we came back from the field. We served among a people called the Reefy Berbers, and you know Mickey, right? Uh, one of the workers you, you support here. Uh, she comes from a region of another Berber group, just south of our Berber group. And uh, for Christiane and, and Sada's sake, we did the Jesus film in 1990. And, uh, and it transformed the face of the recognition of the gospel in a profound way. One of the most powerful instruments in bringing uh, not only the first reefies, the first church among reefies come to pass, but also uh, influencing a whole region. I'm so grateful for that. This morning, and uh, as much as I love these people uh, that I've just mentioned, it's the Bible that we're here to talk about this morning. And I've chosen uh, to speak from a, uh, a psalm, which is one of my favorites, uh, Psalm 103, and you can open your, your Bible to that. Uh, this was the first in a series of, of uh, conference talks I gave on uh, key Davidic psalms back a few years ago. And uh, I called this Declaring the Mighty Deeds of God to Yourself. Declaring the Mighty Deeds of God to Yourself. What a fascinating psalm this is for a number of reasons. One, it was written by David. Oh, how I identify with David. And uh, I don't know many of you personally, but I recognize you because you are just like me, uh, relishing the grace of God as a lifelong sinner. You remember David who sinned grossly as a murderer and a, an adulterer and a deceiver and... Um, with his sin with Bathsheba near the beginning of his reign, as it were, and right up until the end of his reign, he uh, was responsible for the death of 70,000 Israelis. You remember that when he tried to uh, count his troops? So David relished the grace of God and the forgiveness of God. Psalm 103 is, is, has been key and probably was, it was the habit of the second, third century uh, Jews of the Middle East to pray this psalm at the beginning of every month. And uh, there is evidence that indeed that influence was what uh, was a habit of the Lord Jesus as he emulated, as he manifested himself in flesh in first century Judaic practice and religion. Um, he probably recited this, of course he authored it, once a month at least. I relate to David uh, in so many ways, who as a lusty sinner broke all the commandments and found the grace of God sufficient. Um, I relish David, the author of this, because it was David who uh, was the mastermind, along with Samuel, the scriptures tell us in 1 Chronicles 23, in organizing the Levitical guilds 
which were responsible for writing at least uh, 25 of the Psalms, the sons of Korah, Asaph, Heman, Ethan, and you see David's influence in those Psalms. David himself wrote nearly 50 of them. And lastly, I love this author, David, because he uh, was a man after God's own heart, according to 1 Samuel chapter 13. It says that God sought out a man after his own heart, and I trust that that's your heart as well. You want to be God's man, God's woman, at this time, critical time of history. How do we know this was written by David? Well, it says so. Right in the inscription. You know, these inscriptions in the Psalms are as old as the text itself. The Masoretic texts, the Septuagint, written, uh, translated 170-some years before Christ, and the Dead Sea Scrolls all have the subscription attributing this to David. This was a different sort of psalm. We call it a general psalm in that it was not tied to a specific incident in David's life as so many other psalms were. Psalm 3, which was written as he fled his son Absalom. Psalm 57, as he was hiding in the cave of Abdullam from Saul and other psalms as well. But this one is a general psalm. It just says, a psalm of David. And this psalm, I want to suggest to you, is the key. Oh, don't you love it when preachers say that? The key for first approaching all of life's circumstances, no matter what they are. Anger, weariness, depression, discouragement, guilt, the sense of insignificance, our inadequacy, lacking insight, needing perseverance, every personal need, it addresses it. Now, when I tell you what that key is, you're going to say, oh, is that it? Is that all? Well, let me show you in just a minute. In fact, right now, at the very beginning of Psalm chapter 103, verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. We see here a parallelism, a synonymous parallelism that David employed in his poetry, where he states, Bless the Lord, O my soul, A, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and then A, B, and forget none of his benefits. Bless the Lord is a parallel. The B of each of those is a parallel. Forget none of his benefits, he says. How do we bless the Lord? I think very clearly, the text is telling us, as elsewhere in the scripture, we bless the Lord by not forgetting. And that first and foremost, our difficulties are in our forgetfulness. By the way, I checked all of this Hebrew exegesis with a, uh, my rabbi, a, a, a team leader that I uh, oversaw for about a decade in Israel who became a, an Orthodox rabbi who loves Jesus, who plants Muslim uh, churches among ex-Muslims after he wins them to Christ. A strange man. 
but an excellent exegete of the scripture. Verse 2. Do you see this? It says, within ourselves, that is, within our souls, we remember and do not forget every mighty work and benefit God has poured out in our lives. And then look what David does in verses 3 to 5. He remembers. He remembers exactly. I think the NIV does it well where it puts a dash after verse 1, after verse 2. Because what follows is David remembering, who pardons all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion, who satisfies your years with good things. The main thing is to bless the Lord and not to forget. Don't forget, but remember. Why is forgetting so important? Not forgetting. Because remembering the mighty works of God precedes everything we do in our walk with Jesus. Isaiah 51, verse 21 says, Why are you afraid of mortal man? Because you forgot the Lord, your maker, who stretched out the heavens. 2 Peter 1, a tremendous verse. I'm sure you've all got this part memorized, 8 to 12. Apply all diligence and add to your faith. And then he lists nine things that we are to be working on. He says, if you lack these qualities and are not growing, then you are blinded and short-sighted, having forgotten your former purification from sins. More than 55 times in the Bible, he tells us not to forget. I want to suggest that Romans 1 does the same thing saying that our sin nature causes a war of our, against our remembering our creator. We are no longer members of Adam's race, primarily when we are, are translated in the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. At our core, we are now part of the race of the second Adam, according to, to Romans chapter 5. In Jesus Christ, we died to that first Adamic race and rose to newness of life, and have a new identity and nature. But we still drag around, if you noticed, this thing called the flesh and the sin nature. As a result, by nature, we are leaky vessels of forgetfulness. This is a really big thing to God. I love this, uh, you almost said, well, I'll say it, chick flick. Uh, romantic comedy called uh, Just Like he or Heaven Can Wait with Reese Witherspoon and, and Mark Ruffalo. It's horrible theology, but a great metaphor for what we're talking about here. In the movie, Reese Witherspoon is in a coma in a hospital, and her family rents out her flat, because she's there for months, to a guy, Mark Ruffalo. And her spirit leaves her body, now we're getting dodgy in the theology, and visits Mark in her apartment. And they get to know each other, they fall in love, he ends up saving her life by stopping them from disconnecting the life support. She wakes up, she's alive, but she doesn't remember him. He saved her life, but she's forgotten him. Her savior. She goes on with her life with this vague sense that there's something she has forgotten. It's heartbreaking. 
Brings me almost to tears. And that's it. Dramatically inclined by nature to forget. Our flesh wars against the things of the Spirit, and the flesh is supported, is supported by the allurements of this world system and by the relentless lies of the enemy, all working together against our remembering the one who loves us, provided for to us everything that we enjoy, every influence on our life, the source of all life, joy, significance, and salvation. And so what do we do, according to the Bible, to remember? Well, we do a lot of things. Jerry Kind, as a navigator, had a memory pack that he would pack around with him. You got your memory pack today, Jerry? Right, it's up here, right. You uh, pull out 12 big stones out of the river and you, you, you mount them up there. You build monuments to remember. There's even an exhortation. Well, this is what we do. We do all sorts of things. We wear jewelry to remember aspects of our faith. We put things aside, beside our door if you're an Orthodox Jew, the Word of God. You put plaques up. Some of you even have tattoos on your ankle where mom doesn't know about it, but uh, to help you remember something significant. We have Teflon memories when it comes to the good and the affirmative and the redemptive. But you know, isn't it interesting? Um, we have Velcro hearts when it comes to negative thoughts. Ten people can tell you what a great job you're doing and affirm you can read it all through Scripture, who you are now in Christ, but it only takes one person to tell you what a stinker you are. And you remember that, because we've got Velcro hearts when it comes to bad things. We've got Teflon hearts. Slides right off when it comes to the redemptive. You read through this psalm, and you see this is exactly what David is doing. He's remembering, but Psalm 103 is interesting. It is not an exaltation directly to God. It's not a prayer. It's not even an exhortation to other people until you get to the very end, the last three verses. It is a recitation of that which is most important to himself. Look at it. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Who's he talking to? His soul. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and don't forget, this is David talking to himself. There is a, uh, the second big idea of this psalm is not to forget, is the first one is not to forget. The second one is preach those benefits and blessings to yourself which God has poured out on your life. And don't forget the rich Libby's, the Jerry Kynes, the people, the dads, the influences God has put within your life. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. This was David's habit. It's very interesting in Psalm 42, uh, the song, I believe it's the Psalm of Korah, and Psalm 43, exactly the same thing happens where the psalmist says, why are you in despair, O my soul? 
And why are you disturbed within me? Hoping God, who's he talking to? To himself. Hoping God, for I shall again praise him for the help of his presence. Look at that. The psalmist is preaching to himself. In fact, that's so important. That set of, of, of phrases and exhortations to the self occur three times in those two psalms. One of the best Christian books on my four-foot stack is a book by Martin Lloyd-Jones. It's a set of sermons called Spiritual Depression. And in it, there's a, a chapter on Psalm 42. By the way, of this, this book, George Verwer, the founder of OM, now with the Lord just in the last few weeks, said, this is the greatest Christian book of the 20th century of its kind. <laughs> George Verwer said that of this book. Listen to what Lloyd-Jones says about this key passage in Psalm 42, the same as Psalm 103.1. And I'm going to read this, so it's not to get it wrong. Have you realized that most of your unhappiness is life, is due, in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. You have not originated them, but they are talking to you. They bring back the problems of yesterday. Somebody is talking. Who's talking to you? Yourself is talking to you. Now, this man's treatment in Psalm 42 was this. Instead of allowing this self to talk to him, he starts talking to himself. Why are you cast down, O my soul? His soul has been depressing him, crushing him, so that he stands up and says, Self, you listen to me, and I will speak to you, hope in God, for I shall again praise him for the help of his presence. And I continue quoting, On this side of the cross, we know the greatest ground for our hope is Jesus crucified for our sins and triumphant over death. So the main thing is, we must learn to preach the gospel to ourselves. Martin Lloyd-Jones' wife, Bethan, uh, speaks about this in her own memoirs of, of the great Lloyd-Jones and says that her husband would spend long hours pacing around the house, speaking to himself what he knew true from the scriptures to be true about situations, himself, and the challenges to come. I believe that Paul the Apostle taught the same thing. Um, there's a passage, Ephesians chapter 5, 18, 19, where it says, it speaks of the filling of the Spirit, be filled with the Spirit, uh, not with, with wine for that dissipation, but be filled with Him. And then comes a very interesting, grammatically ambiguous Greek uh, phrase where he says, speaking to yourselves in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, making melody in your heart to the Lord. Now, grammatically in the Greek, it can be either speaking among yourselves to one another, but grammatically it can also be speaking to oneself. And I want to suggest to you that if you're not speaking to yourself, you cannot rightly speak to one another. I think that scene and the fact that Paul finishes this phrase in, Psalm, in, in Ephesians 5 by saying, making melody where? In your heart to the Lord. The parallel passage, passage in Colossians 3 says the same thing, where it says, singing in your hearts to the Lord. We need to speak to ourselves what we know to be true. 
when Paul says also in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 to 5, to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. You're not just saying, I won't think about this thing that, I w- that keeps entering my mind, but rather by the power of the Spirit, I will not think about it because I'm replacing it with something else. I'm replacing it with what I'm recalling of the goodness and the graciousness and the works of God in my life and the influence he's brought to me. There was a a message, great message by Thomas Chalmers, a great sermon, uh, one of the Puritans, he wrote a, a sermon called The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. You do not think, you do not, you do not stop thinking about the pink elephant in the room, but rather you replace it with a greater thought by remembering. Well, what is it you declare to yourself? You declare to yourself all his benefits. It doesn't say in Psalm 103, 1 and 2 that you remember his attributes. That's very important. But it says you forget not all his benefits. God's work in your life, his mighty blessings, his insights, his mighty work on your behalf, the gospel. And that's the main thing we need to remember the gospel. Preach to yourself the gospel. Declare to yourself the mightiest work of God ever accomplished in time and eternity. This is the center problem of our uh, issue of our, our personal struggles and how we deal with impossible tasks like raising families in this generation, like planting churches where the gospel has never been. What do you mean the gospel? David didn't know the gospel. He was a thousand years before Jesus. Oh, yes, he did. He knew the gospel. The gospel just just pregnates this this psalm. For example, look at verse 8 with me. It says, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. You know know where this phrase comes from? uh, Many of you will recognize it from Exodus 34, verse 6, where... uh, the law writer, uh, Moses, recorded the words of the Lord, speaking about himself. And David so cherished this phrase. He used it at least a dozen times in certain ways in his psalms. And he references it twice in this psalm. And yet, if you look back at Exodus 34, the text says after the Lord's compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding loving kindness. In verse 6 it says, and by no means will the, will the guilty go unpunished. Everyone will get what he deserves. And yet David does not follow up that passage, does not complete Psalm or Exodus 34, 6. Instead he says, he has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. Verse 10 Whoa, what has David done here? Is he contradicting Moses? By saying that the Lord is not going to deal with my sin. David cherished the gospel. I think rather David is fulfilling what you see elsewhere in the Old Testament, where it says in Isaiah 53 that the Lord took our sins and laid them upon the Lamb of God. 
and we are set free. The scapegoat took away the sin of Israel. The gospel is everywhere in the Old Testament, including Psalm 103, and oh, this great sinner relished the gospel. Where did that sin go? It went on the Lamb of God. We forget God, but he remembered us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And although we forgot him, Jesus became forsaken and forgotten by God so that you and I would be remembered. Back to that film. It was maybe months after Reese Witherspoon has come out of her coma and there's this vague memory of something missing in her life and everything she uh, confronts, she's haunted by this, what is it that I'm missing? All this time, Mark Ruffalo is up on her roof building this dream garden. She loves gardens. She tries to forget him, but something's haunting her. As he builds this garden, she suddenly comes up to the garden. Her eyes are open. She falls into his arms, and they live happily ever after because the one she had forgotten remembered her. It's a beautiful scene. Bad theology again, but a good metaphor. It wasn't that easy for the gospel, was it? For our, in order for us to be remembered by God, Jesus had to be forgotten and forsaken by his Father so that we could be remembered. Well, this is exactly what David does in verses 1 to 5, 1 to 6. He says, he pardons all your iniquities. Do you struggle with guilt, men and women? Remember that benefit of the cross. He heals all your diseases. You feel like you're never going to get better? Your body is not your own, men and women. It was bought with a price, and it's his body. By his stripes, you are healed, often in this life and always in the new creation to come. He redeems your life from the pit. Are you afraid of dying? There's your hope and experience. He crowns you with loving kindness and compassion. Again, a reference back to Exodus 34. Are you feeling dishonored, upset with criticism, perhaps by your wife? Here's your crown of honor. He satisfies your years with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. Are you worried about finances, about the future, or being forgotten? Here's your assurance. As I finish, uh, I ask you to pardon a, um, this autobiographical indulgence I'm going to embark on here, but let me just give you an illustration of how the Lord has used this so powerfully in my own life. We learn to declare to our own souls the mighty works of God and bless him at the best of times and at the worst of times. At the death of a third-born son, Johnny, whom one's wife is forced, due to our setting and circumstance in North Africa, to carry, carry around that child dead in her body for two months until the body naturally gave birth to our son. You speak to yourself when three years later your wife gives birth to yet another stillborn son, Micah, who was strangled in the womb just a couple hours before his birth on his due date. 
You preach to yourself when a really promising disciple in whom you've poured the last four years of your life seduces one of your team members' wives, destroys that marriage, and runs away with her to America. You take your soul in hand and you preach to yourself when in one year another key disciple apostatizes, leaves his wife, your entire team is kicked out. This was before Jerry and Carol came along. Your entire team is kicked out by the police. The church has stopped meeting and you're diagnosed with cancer and have to go home for surgery and chemotherapy. You just bless the Lord and remember and preach to yourself his mighty deeds and do something like uh, sing this hymn to yourself. O love that will not let me go, I rest my weary soul in thee. I give thee back the life I owe that in thine ocean depths its flow may richer, fuller be. O joy that seeks me through pain, I cannot close my heart to you. I trace the rainbow through the rain and feel the promise is not vain. That morn shall tearless be. O cross that liftest up my soul, my head, I dare not ask to fly from you. I lay in dust glory, life's glory dead, and from the ground there blossoms red life that shall endless be. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word of God. Oceans of water just refreshing our soul. That which is true in the face of lies all around us. And I pray for each one, each individual here, even as we pause in this moment, just for a moment, and remember the benefits, some of the people, and the blessings of God from the past. Just take a moment and remember. Oh, how we thank you. It's all about you. There is none like you. We give you all the glory, all the praise. And in just a few breaths, Lord, we'll see you face to face. Give us grace till that day to remember, to not to forget, and to speak to ourselves that which is true. Make us courageous. Give grace to this church as they seek your man, your family, to shepherd the flock of God. We thank you that he's there and that you're there leading this process. I thank you for each of the persons I've met this morning. I pray for great blessing upon the leadership, upon the women, the children, and the men who lead. In the name of Jesus, we all pray together. Amen. How shall we end? We wave goodbye, is that right? <laughs> okay. All right. Good to meet you all. God bless you.